Okay, the parish is called Kitavo. And in Kitavo, Kitavo is one of the strangest, there is one of the strangest parshiyot in the Torah. I, I prefer that we sit separately, but I don't know how to do it exactly. Um, Alright, that doesn't matter for today. Somehow. So the psukim say this. Oh, that's good. Exile the men. Tov. Vayetzat. What? That's what the women say, but... No. Okay. The psukim say this. Perak of Zion. Vayetzav Mosheu Ziknei V'Ziknei Yisrael Et Ha'am Leimo Shamor Et Kol HaMitzvah Asher Anochi Mitzavet Etchem Hayom So this is like a general kind of a uh, directive Shamor Keep Watch over The Mitzvot Keep the Mitzvot properly Vaya Bayom Asher Tavruat HaYardain El Ha'aretz Asher Asher Belokecha Notein Lecha Now B'nei Yisrael are in Arvot Moav, which is on the eastern side of the Jordan River, sort of north of Yam HaMelech, right, opposite Yericho, opposite Yericho. So, that's where they are. He says, when you go over the Jordan River, El Ha'aretz Asher Lach, right, this is stressed again and again in the book of Dvarim, Hakimota lecha avanim gedolot. You take big stones. Hakimota means you stand them up somehow. Hakimota lecha avanim gedolot v'sadete sadeta otam b'seed, and then you whitewash them. You whitewash the, um, the stones, or you cover the stones with whitewash. That's what it means. So they all look white now. Vikatavta alehem it called the Vratarazot Boovrecha. And you'll write the entire Torah on these stones Beovrecha when you go across the Jordan River. Lima'an now what's supposed to follow is an explanation about why are you doing all this? Why are you putting up stones and why are you writing the Torah on these stones? So that seems that setting up stones, setting up stones and uh, whitewashing them and then writing on them, uh, writing on them the words of the Torah is some kind of a condition, a precondition to getting Eretz Yisrael. You ought to get to Eretz Yisrael. Do this. Um, so up to now, we have, uh, we, we might have some technical problems. Like, how many stones does it take to write the entire Torah on? And how did they write it on this whitewashed... Uh, uh, st- the, the Torah talks about this as if it was the most obvious thing imaginable. And the tzivui is that hakimot uh, avanim gedolot. How many? How many avanim? Doesn't say. I guess as many as it takes to write the whole Torah. So here they are. They go across the Jordan River, someplace or other, and they're all like waiting. And people are collecting stones and whitewashing them and starting to write. How long does it take to write a sefer Torah today? It generally, uh, a sofer, a sofer stam, takes him a year to write a Sefer Torah. That's a reasonable amount of time. So I guess if you had a lot of people starting from different places, every stone was a different book, every stone was a different chapter, I have no idea. It's hard to imagine what it is that the Torah is talking about. Then it says, Vayab ovrechem et after you pass over the Jordan River. Now you have to, now in Jewish history, this is how it happened. They went from Arvot Moab to Eretz Yisrael, led by Yehoshua ben Nun, right? Moshe Rabbeinu had already died in Arvot Moab. 
So Yoshua ben Nun is leading B'nai Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. The first thing they do is go to Shechem. Now, that, that, that's a long trek. Imagine today, everybody knows, from Yericho, you have to walk to Shechem. But that's a long walk. And it's hard for uh, uh, 600,000 or more people not to be noticed. I mean, someone is going to notice them. They're going, and they don't quite get to Shechem. But the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, So, you should know that outside of Shechem, there are two uh, uh, hills or mountains. I mean, not high mountains, but low mountains. Eval and Grizim. Right? You know Eval and Grizim? Those are their names. Those are their names. So he says, you take these stones, you take these stones that you set up already, and you wrote, I think, you wrote on them when you crossed over into the, um, crossed over the Jordan into Eretz Yisrael. There's something confusing here. And then he says, the Sadatel Tam Besid. So either you didn't do it yet, or you're going to do it again. It, it, it sounds like when you cross over the Jordan River, you get these stones, you set up the stones, and then you whitewash them, and then you write the Torah. And then, after you do that, you go on your way to, uh, you go on your way to, um, uh, to Eval, and you do it again. You set up more stones on Har Eval. Uvanita sham Hashem Alehem So this is already talking about, this is talking about Harival. When you get to Harival, you also build a Mizbeach. Uh, and the Mizbeach, it should be Lotanif Alehem Barzel, meaning that you use natural stones. You know, I mean, you might have to smash them from big to small, but you can't cut them into bricks. They're just, like, you know, like, the, like some of the stone facings in Yerushalayim look like they are not made, like sort of just stones. So that's how you make a Mizbeach. Mizbeach is made of stones that are not hewn, because the barzel, uh, figuratively, is, uh, means uh, bad, war, uh, destruction. So you don't want the barzel to come into contact with the Mizbeach. That's what the terrorist says, Lo Tarif Barzel. Now, Avanim Shlemot, Tivne et Mizbeach, Hashem Elokecha, Vaha'a, Lita Alav Olot Hashem Elokecha. You build a Mizbeach. Where are we building this Mizbeach? In Har Eval. Right? And, and we, we're sacrificing. Vizavachta Shlamim Vaachalta Shav Vizamachta Lifnei Hashem Elokecha. This Pasuk, this Pasuk which appears in the parasha of Har Eval is the source of a very well-known halacha that on Yantif ain't simcha ela bebasar. Yantif, Yantif, the Gemara says that you compare the word v'samachta here in Har Eval to the words v'samachta b'chagecha about Sukkot right and you make a you know you, a hekish and you say simcha here simcha there how'd they do the simcha in Har Eval how'd they do it do it they ate the, the meat of the Kormanot so how do you do simcha on Yantif on Sukkot on Shavuot on Pesach how do you do simcha ain simcha ela bibasar ain simcha ela bibasar that's what the Gemara says so you learn from this pasuk an incidental halacha but it's incidental to our conversation our conversation is about what were they doing what was it that God wanted them to do and it says the final pasuk v'katavta alavanim it called the v'yatorazot now v'katavta alavanim is this the first time or second time? Why would I have to do it a second time? It seems like a big effort. The katavta al havanim, it's called the v'yatorazot, 
Be'ehetev. What's Be'ehetev? Oh, Tev, that's a story. So you look at Rashi. Let's start from Rashi, the last Rashi. Be'ehetev. What does Rashi say? Shivim Lashon. The same thing that Rashi says in Dvarim Perik Aleph Pasuk Hey. Ho'il Moshe Be'er et HaTorah Hazot. Ho'il Moshe Be'er, Rashi says. Shivim Lashon. Now what does Shivim Lashon mean? What pray? It comes from Chazal. But what could Rashi have been thinking? What's Be'er Hetev? What's Shivim Lashon? Let's look at the Rashi, Hakimotalach. You see? Hakimotalach, Biardain. Vachakal Totsimi Sham Acherot, Tivnebehem Mizbeach Baharival. So it sounds like, according to Rashi, they should schlep the stones from the Yardain to Eval. Now, you know that they don't have so many natural resources in Eretz Israel, but stones they have. Any place you go, there are plenty of stones. What are the schlep stones from the Jordan to Haraval, according to Rashi? He says, V'tivnem em izbeh Haraval ben seitat omer. Gimel minei avanim hayu. There were three sets of stones. Like he changes a little bit what he says. Three sets of stones, because he's quoting the Gemara. Shnei masabi yardain. Okay, Negdam the Gilgal. Gilgal? Where's Gilgal? It's down there. I once did Miluim in Gilgal. It was very pleasant. No one knew where it was. No one came, nobody left. It was like, you know. Gilgal is north of Yericho. If you go on that road, you know, the Krisha, whatever it's called. So you see a sign, one of those J and F signs. It says Gilgal. Don't go there. <laughs> I mean, unless you're really desperate, but uh, you could pass it by. Connect them to Gilgal. In other words, they did it first. Be Ardain. Connect them to Gilgal. Connect them to Haraval. Sota. So here is Rashi. And Rashi's telling us that the true story of what happened is told in Masechet Sota. So let's look at Masechet Sota. Let us look at Masechet Sota. Where is Masechet Sota? Here, Lavet Hay, on the second page, Daf Lavet Hay Bet. You see, the second, it's the second source. Nimtseita Ataomer. Shlosha minei avanim hayu. We're learning the Gemara. This is the Gemara. Right, it doesn't look like a Gemara, but it's a Gemara. The same words. Shloshami ne'avanimayu. There were three kinds or three sets of stones. Echad sheikim Moshe be'eretz Moab. What is that all about? You, 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 you know, just because it's the Gemara doesn't mean that you can take it lightly. I mean, what, what, what do you mean, Kim Moshe be'eretz Moab? Where's Eretz Moab? on the east side right the east side of the Jordan that was before Moshe Rabbeinu died Moshe Rabbeinu if you remember correctly did not get to Eretz Yisrael no no one told you never Moshe Rabbeinu did not get to Eretz Yisrael so if he was Be'eva Hayardain he's Be'eva Hayardain Be'eretz Moab Shinemah what's the proof that Moshe Rabbeinu set up stones because it says, Be'eva Hayadein, Be'eretz Mo'av, Ho'il Moshe Be'er. What does Rashi say in our parashan Kitavo? Be'er means Shivim Lashon. What does Rashi say in Perek Aleph Posakei in Dvarim, Be'er Hetev, is also Shivim Lashon. So if the Shivim Lashon and Perek of Zion are written on stones, so I guess the very tape of Moshe Rabbeinu was also written on stones, even though nearly a hint, well, nearly a hint of this whole thing in the Torah. Now, there's no mention of it. It's like the Gemara creates a story. We don't know where the story comes from. Atya means Arabic. Ba. It comes. 
Be'er, be'er, like a hekesh, we say, what's true about this be'er heitev is true about that be'er heitev. Be'er, be'er, be'er. Ve'chad that's the first one, right? Ve'chad, a second one. Shekibi Yeshua betocha yardain. In the Jordan River, you know, they walk through the Jordan River, you can do that. Not only Jesus could do it, but everybody could do it. There are times that you can walk through the Jordan River. No, it's split also. But that could be what it means, it's split. That you can walk through it. It does, it's not like the splitting of the Red Sea, where there were walls, because the Red Sea was so deep. But here it could mean just that uh, you could walk through it. Okay. And the third one was in Gilgal, Shneemar, because that's where they got to. Their first rest spot was Gilgal. You know, Yoshua brought them through the Jordan River where they set up these rocks. And then they walked in Eretz Yisrael, they went to Gilgal. What, what happened to Hare Vav? And in other words, the Gemara says this, there were three times that these stones were set up Be'er, Be'er Hetev. One by Moshe Rabbeinu on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The second by Yeshua Ben-Nun when he was in the, when they crossed the Jordan, in the Jordan, in the river itself, they set up these stones. And the third was when they got to Gilgal. And that's the end of the Gemara. I don't know. Does, it was, from what Rashi said, it sounds like they schlepped the stones with them from one place to another, but then why would they have to write it again? That doesn't, unless they just had schlepped the stones and wrote new ones. So every time they had more. They had more stones. Why? I don't think they taught it. They wrote it. I don't know about, I don't know. Let's stick to what we know. What the Gemara says, you know, like we could, before we, we, we complete the story in some way. Now the Gemara says, Tanu Rabbanan. Tanu Rabbanan means a brighter. Right, a brighter. What does a brighter mean? It's Tanaidic. What does Tanaidic mean? It has authority. When, when the Gemara quotes a brighter, it means it's something that's known. It's something that no one's going to say, oh, that doesn't exist. I mean, let's say, not never, but almost never, right? A, a, a brighter has authority. So what is this brighter? Even though the brighter is not halachic, it's tagadic, nevertheless, it's an authoritative statement. It means authoritative, I don't mean that it's true. By authoritative, I mean it was known. Everybody knew this. And they all said, yes, that's true. That's what we learned. Right, that kind of authority. So, Torah Rabbanan, Ketzat Katvu Yisraelat Torah. So, after all, the, the Torah says, write the Torah on the stones. The Gemara says, Torah Rabbanan, how did they do that? How did they write? How did they write? Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Al Gabay Avanim Katvua. They wrote on the backs of the stones on the stone that you set up the stone and you started writing they wrote on the stones we hear the Gemara are you following and then they painted the, what the words that they wrote with whitewash so you couldn't see the words anymore. So why did they write the words? If they had the, you know, that's such a good cashier because we know that there's, we, we put on tefillin. What are tefillin? They're the place where you never can see what's written. Isn't that tefillin? Mezuzah? You all heard about a mezuzah? What's a mezuzah? It's up on the door and you can never see what's written. Right? That's like an interesting idea. Interesting idea. I remember somebody came to me and asked me a Shiloh years ago. If you make an, uh, an open mezuzah, can you make, like you take a, a piece of mezuzah cloth and you put it in between, what's that hard plastic called? 
plexiglass. Oh, plexiglass. You put it in plexiglass and you put it on the door. Is it kosher? What? If it's not, it's not rolled. No, you could see it. You could see what it says, what the mezuzah says. So, the Shulchan Aruch says, the Shulchan Aruch says, when you roll the mezuzah, you should roll it from the end to the beginning. You know, that's the Shulchan Aruch says. But does that mean that you have to roll it? Or does it mean that if you roll it, roll it in this direction? So this is what, you know, this was an issue. Uh, anyway, it didn't catch on. His mezuzahs didn't sell. Everybody wanted the kind of mezuzah where you don't know what's in it, right? They didn't want the, the kind of mezuzah where you do know. So Rabbi Shimon says, he says, isn't the idea that everybody should learn the Shivim Lashafot, Lashonot, that everybody should be able to learn the Torah, so if you paint it over with, with whitewash, no one's going to be able to see anything, and no one's going to learn anything. Amalo, bina yetera natan v'hem Don't bother me with facts. This is how they did it. And you want to know how the non-Jews learned the Torah? They had these electric eyes in their eyeballs, and they were able to look at the the, the stones, and they knew what was in it. That's the answer in the the He says. Uh, they were very clever. They were able to even understand things they couldn't see. And they sent uh, uh, these professional guys who were professional writers. And they removed the seed, right? And then they bore it. They understood it. The Goyim had this opportunity, in spite of the fact that it seems unreasonable, they had the opportunity to learn Torah, and they rejected that opportunity, and therefore they deserved this terrible punishment, uh, to a uh, dried out well. Like they were thrown into this. That was their punishment. Rabbi Shimon has a more reasonable position. At least we think, I think it's more reasonable. They First they put on the seed. And then they wrote on the seed. So you could see it. So the theme in the Gemara, I mean, there are two parts to this Gemara. One is like sort of the factual part. Where did they do it? And when did they do it? And how did they do it? So we already have, the Gemara is insisting on two things. One is that Moshe Rabbeinu was also connected somehow to this enterprise, which seems to be the way uh, uh, Rashi learns the Pasuk in the beginning of Dvarim, Oel Moshe Be'er B'Shivim Lashon, and here he also says it's B'Shivim Lashon, and he doesn't quote the Medrash in the Gemara, but you could say that the Rashi also thinks, Rashi also thinks that, uh, um, that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu somehow participated in this event. He also did it. He, he also did it. The second thing, the second thing is we learned what was the purpose. That somehow, this was an opportunity for the non-Jews to learn Torah. And they didn't take that opportunity, and therefore they were uh, sent away. Now if we go back to the first page on the sheet, I just want to... Uh, <coughs> Which? Is it acceptable? Yeah, of course. I'll, I'll, I'll mention that in a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, anyway, look at the Ibn Ezra. You see the Ibn Ezra? 
Vayitzav Moshe. It's not Moshe Rabbeinu's idea. You see the second line in the Ibn Ezra. Umahi. What mitzvah are we talking about? It doesn't mean it's a mitzvah in the Torah which goes on for generations, but it was a mitzvah for that moment. At that moment it was a mitzvah. Those kind of mitzvot exist. Now listen to this. The Gaon is Rav Right, he was quoted, he's quoted often by the Ibn Ezra. Rav was a, an important personality, and if not for the fact that he was eclipsed by the Rambam, would have remained, for us even today, a very significant person. But uh, most people learn the Halakha and the philosophy through the Rambam and not through Rav Sadiagon. Even though Rav Sadiagon wrote things that are both halachic and philosophical. So listen to what the Gaon said. He agrees. What did the Gaon say? That it's not the entire Torah that was written on these stones. What was written on the stones? Mitzvot. Things you have to do. Like in the book called Halachot Gedolot. Halachot Gedolot is often quoted as Bahag. Bet Hey Gimel Baal Halachot Gedolot. The author is not perfect, it's not perfectly, but it's a Gaonic work of Halacha which preceded the, the, the Halachic works of the Rambam and was very highly regarded both in Spain and in Germany and France and everybody uh, uh, gave um, a lot of credence to the Bahag so he said this is like the Bahag they didn't write on the stones the stories of B'nai Yisrael and Avram and Yitzchok and Yaakov and Yitziat Mitzrayim what they write on the stones according to the Gon they wrote just mitzvot what the things you have to do. Things you have to do, not the things that are connected intimately to Am Yisrael, you could explain it that way, like the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Of course it's important for Am Yisrael, but it may not be so important for the Amorites and the Chiti and the Chivi and the Prizi and the Yavusi. I mean, what do they care about Yitziat Mitzrayim? But what they have to know is that the Torah has demands. They're called mitzvot. And the Torah has prohibitions. And they're called Isurim. And they have to know that. And the Ibn Ezra himself says, Yafe'amah. So the Ibn Ezra relates to the question of um, space. How did they write it down? And he turns to the Gaon, to Rapsadja Gaon, and says, They write so much. Not as much as you think. It's a lot less than it could have been. That's what Rapsadja goes says. Okay. So, according to, Rav, uh, to the Ibn Ezra, we've modified a certain problem. The problem was the whole Torah? And the answer is no. They didn't write the whole Torah. They only wrote uh, the relevant Torah. Relevant to whom? Relevant to these non-Jews who are going to get it, according to the Gemara and Sota. I have to, uh, I have to believe that Rav Sadiagon and the Ibn Ezra knew that Gemara and Sota, right? It's not the... Uh, well, we didn't discover it. So that's, that's the Ibn Ezra. Now what does the Ramban say? Omar Rabbi Avraham B'Shem HaGaon. You see the Ramban at the beginning of Pasuk Gimel? You see the Ramban B'Shem HaGaon? Omar Rabbi Avraham B'Shem HaGaon Shekatvu Alehem Minyan HaMitzvot Kimok Tuvot Balachot Gidolot Ke'en Azarot So he quotes. What did Ibn Ezra say, B'Shem HaGaon? That they wrote mitzvot. Positive commandments and negative commandments. That's what they wrote on the stones. And then he says, Rabbeinu, V'tam Be'er Hetev, I'm sorry. Be'er Hetev is about the K'tiva. Be'er Hetev refers to the K'tiva. That the K'tiva was done in a very clear way. Rabbeinu Amru, B'Shivim Lashon. Bishivim Lashon. 
Shirin Lashon means um, that they were able to clarify, they were able to do this. That's what Be'er Hetev means, according to the Chachamim. Two interpretations. Be'er Hetev either means it was very clearly done, the people who wrote it were very good scribes, or Be'er Hetev means Shirin Lashon. That's what the Ramban says. Umatsiru b'sefer tagi. Tag, tag is a crown. Is a, is a crown. In, uh, in Arabic, it's also a crown. The, the, um, a Yemenites, the Yemenite bikraot gidolot is called taj. Crown. The crowns are the crowns on letters. If you look at the Sefer Torah, at the, at the written Torah, you see there are letters that have crowns, like three little uh, staffs coming out of the letter. That's called a keter, or a crown. Those crowns are very important. They have to be written in the Sefer Torah. So he says, Matsinu b'Sefer Tagi. Matsinu b'Sefer Tagi. This is a book of commentaries on the crowns. Like why certain letters have crowns and others don't, and why in certain places they have crowns and they don't. You could imagine that the Jews could go for this, right? This is a... So, so he says, Shaita, in the Sefer Tagi it says, Aita kol tura breshit ad kol Yisrael In other words, not only was the Torah written completely word for word, Against whom? Against Ibn Ezra, against Rav Sajigon, who said, no, there was an abbreviated Torah. He says, not only was the whole Torah written, but even all of these strange things that, you know, like, like additions to the letters, were also written. In other words, to be the, the scribe, to write this up, you had to really be a professional. Couldn't just be anywhere. And he says, Misham netku hatagin bikol hatorah. What does that mean? The first time that a Torah was written with tagin was on these stones. You remember the story of Rabbi Akiva? You know, like, like, Kaddish uh, shows Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Akiva is learning from all these tagin, he's learning halachot, and, what? Gemara Menachos, that's correct. So, 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 so he said, uh, uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what he was doing. What's going on? How is he getting halachas out of the tagin? Like Moshe Rabbeinu never saw these tagin. And so here in the Sefer HaTagin, he quotes that the first time the Torah was written with tagin was this Torah that was written on the rocks that were covered with whitewash after they came into Eretz Yisrael, maybe even before. I don't know. I don't know what happened to the Gibar that says that Moshe Rabbeinu also. That doesn't sound to me like uh, like that's what he is thinking about. The Ramban says it may be that these stones were very very big. In in, in other words, the Ibn Ezra tried to make the stone smaller thinking that that might make the whole story more reasonable. And the Ibn Ezra, and the Ramban says, why do you want to make the story reasonable? I mean, this is, you have to just go with the, with the words. The words say they were big stones, so they're big stones. How big? Big. How did they do it? How did they carry them? How did they move them? How did they write? How did they do it? He says, Vice and Nisim. What do I have to, I don't have to justify that. I don't have to explain it. It doesn't, you know, I'm not, uh, I have no uh, interest in that. Okay. We'll learn these two more sources. Uh, we'll learn first the uh, Kitab Kabbalah. Kitab Kabbalah is written by Svi Mechleber. Shom Yaakov knows it because he's a Talmud of the Grove. On Friday morning? Friday morning didn't happen yet. It's tomorrow. <laughs> it was a different Friday morning. <laughs> anyway, it's very, it's, a, it's very interesting commentary. It's like for Litvox. You know, it's a commentary for Litvox, and because I am uh, open-minded, 
I'm going to quote this this Ktava uh, Kabbalah. So he says, "Larambana, you have an imdolot maot." According to the Ramban, the stones were very big. He says, maybe they were, there was a miracle that enabled the writing to take place. A third opinion. That that's when they, they wrote the stones. Now listen to this. It's only a litva. He says, Bini Hamaskil, my clever son. <laughs> he says, my clever son. Shmuel, Amar, Milat Kolpe, Inyanokimo Klal. That's what he said. Uh, and then he goes into a, into a discussion of that. I want to skip. I mean, you could do this on your own, but I want to skip. Um, He brings up an interesting question. I just uh, lost the. Eino motutsuvim mashmeret kolam mitzvot haTorah kedamrinan teratzi valanu. Five lines at the bottom. You see five lines at the bottom. Five that or six lines. The ein haumot the second word on the line. Ein haumot mitzuvim al shmirat kol haTorah. When you say that the umot have to be aware of the Torah, it doesn't mean that they have to do the mitzvot. They have to know what the Torah is. Kedamrina and Torah tzivalonu. Because it says in the Pasuk that God gave us the Torah. So we're not trying to give it to the, to the Goyim, but they have to have a certain awareness. Lanu velolu umot haulam. Ela al kilelata Torah medaber. They have to know generally what the Torah is. V'hu achdut haborei v'chamur. You have to know that there's only one God, and you only serve one God, and that's what you're supposed to do. V'hineyadercham pshat, In other words, we, we could also explain that what they wrote on these stones were the whole Torah from Breshit until Leine Kol Yisrael until the end. Velashon v'katavta al avanim dormele leshon uktavtam al mezuzot. You get it? What is it? What is it? What does it mean? What is the, What does it mean in the Torah? When the Torah says katavtam al mezuzot beitecha. What is it? What's, what are the mezuzot? The mezuzot are these, yeah, the doorposts. So where do you write the mezuzah? You write the mezuzah on the doorpost? You write the mezuzah on a piece of cloth. And then you put the cloth on the doorpost. What does it say in the Torah? What does it say in the Torah? The ketavtem al mezuzot. Everybody understands that you don't write it on the mezuzah. You write it on a piece of cloth. And then you put it on the mezuzah. Right, that's, everybody understands. Listen to what he says. These words in the Torah, that you should write it on the stones, Ki im al haklaf, al haklaf, hanikba, vachakach al mezuzat abayit. You take the cloth and you put it on the mezuzah. You don't write it on the mezuzah. Hachinami, shiichtov kol the Torah, b'reish lein kol Yisrael al haklaf. Kesef Torah. He says, maybe that's what the pasuk means. That they wrote it they wrote the where they write the Sefer Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu already wrote the Sefer Torah, gave every Shevet a Sefer Torah. It was written on cloth, with dio, with ink, by a scribe. And that was something that you could do if you had a lot of scribes working on it. And he says, he says, 
על הקרב החינמי שיכתוב כל התורה מבראשית על עיני כל ישראל על הקרב כסבל תורה ויקבענה אחר כך על האבנים and then maybe afterwards they, the avenue was like a like a, you know like they have these things in uh, European towns like a, a thing in the middle of the square and you post uh, announcements on it notice no board. what notice a notice board but it's round right uh-huh. a board is like this uh-huh. I mean this is like a stone in the middle of a square which is often round but they call it a square anyway so they had this thing in the middle where you paste notices you put notices on it because and everybody knows that you go to that red thing in the middle of the square to get the notices because that's where they are so if you take a stone and it's a big stone and it has and you want to make give a message Xavier Kabbalah says it if I said it it would be terrible but he said it he said it that, that probably the stones were just very big so you'd be noticed, right? You remember Yaakov running away from Lovon and they set up a stone. Stones were used for boundaries. Now when you used a stone for a boundary, it had to be noticeable. You couldn't use a pebble. You have a big stone, right? So, so uh, the Ksavakabola says an interesting thing. Maybe, maybe they even had it written. It was Sifrei Torah that they had from Moshe Rabbeinu and they put them up on the stone and that way people were able to come people were able to come and see what it was that the Torah was about. Now, after all of this, we have a couple of questions that I would like to uh, relate to. The Rambam says, at the end of Hilchot Melachim, the Rambam says at the end of Hilchot Melachim, you know, that uh, it, it was censored. It's a censored paragraph from the Rambam. The Goyim didn't like it. You know, the Goyim either owned the printing presses in those days or controlled them. And they didn't like this Rambam. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, you have to understand that the Islam and Christianity are working for us, the Jewish people. And now this he doesn't say, but I just, I'll add this. He says, you know, we're too busy. We have to learn Gemara and Tosus and Halacha and cook and clean. We're busy. What are we going to do? Go and convert the whole world and to believe that there's only one God? So we have agents. The agents are Christians and Muslims, according to the Rambam. And they did a great job because they took all these idolaters, these uh, idol worshippers and, and strange people, and they gave them a belief in God. They gave them a belief in God so that we are successful through them. That's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says he doesn't differentiate. You know, he lived in a country where there was a clash between the Christians and the Muslims, and that's why he had to leave, because they were all against the Jews. And even though the Christians and the Muslims are traditionally don't like us, but that doesn't mean that they're not working for us. You know, it's like, that's, you could just think about it. That's what the Rambam says. This, uh, this halacha, of course, in the new editions of the Rambam has been returned to its proper place. And you can see it's in the last parakehichus melachim, which means in the last chapter of the last section of the Rambam's great work on halacha. That's the first thing I wanted, I wanted to, to tell you. The second thing I wanted to tell you was that when Yoshua bin Nun sent Miraglim into Yericho, right? So the Miraglim didn't do it. They got caught. And then they hid. And then they ran away. So you would imagine that you would say that the Miraglim were not a great success. Not only did they not do what they were supposed to do, but they made a deal with Rachav Hazona that compromised them. You know, B'nai Yisrael, they had to take care of her family. They had to take care of them. They didn't get anything, but at the end she saved their lives, so he, they saved her life and all the family. So I would say that this project of, of Rigu, of uh, spying out the land, was a bust. 
And yet, when they came back to the camp, Yoshua ben Nun debriefed them. And he said, well, what did you find? And what happened? And they said, they, so they said something. They should have said nothing. We didn't find anything. We were hiding in Rachav's house all the time. And then we ran away to the hills, and the police were running after us, and so we escaped by the skin of our teeth. What did they find out? Nothing. They said, no. Because in the discussion with Rachav Hazona, and the reason I keep saying she's a Zona is because she was like a regular person. That's what I mean. She wasn't part of the the landed aristocracy. She was a person. And what did she say to the to the spies? And what did the spies say to Yoshua bin Nun? We know that's what that's what she said. She said to them and they said to Yoshua that we know that the Jews, B'nai Yisrael, are coming directed by God. We know that. We know that. Now, what was the issue? Well, I, I understand. What was the issue? The issue was, the issue was, when can you go to war? Well, you can go to war if you're justified. I mean, if you, like, let's say, the people coming to kill you. So you can go to war. You can't let them kill you. I mean, you have the right to, to protect yourself. What if they're not coming to kill you? What, when does the war become a mitzvah? When does the war become a mitzvah? So the answer is briefly. I could also do this in a long time, but I'm going to do it briefly. A war is justified if the people who you're fighting against know that you come in the name of God. Then the war is justified. Because if they are denying divine authority, then you're allowed to go to war against them. Yoshua bin Nun, Yoshua bin Nun, he had this mitzvah of conquering Eretz Yisrael. But he would not do it, and B'nai Yisrael wouldn't do it, until they understood that the Canaanites, the Canaanites were taking a stand against God, and not just taking a stand against B'nai Yisrael. So that the spies who came back from spying out the land with Yoshua ben Nun, those spies said, said to uh, to Yoshua ben Nun, look, they're against God. They're not against us. They're against God. And then Yoshua ben Nun said, okay, if they're against God, then we can go to war against the nations of Canaan. So that you could say, you could say when when they came to Eretz Yisrael. There was another thing that the Jews did. And they set up these stones. And on the stones, on the stones they put the, say, the Torah somehow, one way or the other. Either like the Ibn Ezra or like the Ramban or like... And it didn't matter. They would find people who could explain what all of this was. And the idea was to make sure that everybody would know. And therefore they did it in the Jordan and they did it in Gilgal and they did it again, in Har Eval, to make sure that everybody would know that they are coming to fight because God sent them to fight. God sent them to the fight. And uh, uh, the last thing I want to say is on the, the second uh, second page. Second page. The Kedushat Levi, Rav Levi Yitzchok Vibadichiv, he says this, like we know all this already, right? If you read the Kedushat Levi easily, with Sarich, Lavin, He says, why, why 70 languages? Which I say means that it could be comprehensible to everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that the 70 languages were actually written. Remember, remember Rashi asked that question from Rabbi Yitzchak. And he said, how come the Torah starts from Breshit Baralokim? Why doesn't it start from the first mitzvah? What's the first mitzvah? And the answer is, the answer is because the book of Breshit tells us, teaches us that God is in charge. So even if the Goyim come and they say, look, you kicked us out of Eretz Yisrael, we were here first. Right? You ever hear anybody say a thing like that? We were here first, and you kicked us out. So Rashi says, 
It's a correct ta'ana. What's the ta'ana against that? That God's in charge. It's true you were here first. And it's true that you have a certain kind of uh, rights of domicile. But God decided that you don't have permanent rights. And God has the right to make that decision. That's what Rashi says. And God made that decision. Take it from them and give it to us. That there's some kind of relationship between receiving the Torah, accepting the Torah, and getting Eretz Yisrael. Everybody should see, you know, like what are, what are the Jews doing here? It's in the Torah. It's because they accepted the Torah. It's because you, you did not accept the Torah. You rejected the Torah. That all the nations of the world had the opportunity to get the Torah, but rejected it. So there's a kind of an announcement. An announcement being made to the entire world about the connection between Eretz Yisrael and Kabbalat Torah. And since we know that uh, many, many mitzvot of the Torah connected to Eretz Yisrael, it's not so far-fetched to think that that the Torah really works only in Eretz Yisrael, and that and the Ramban says that. The Ramban says that says the reason you do mitzvot to Chutzlaret is that you should remember how to do them when you come back to Eretz Yisrael. But in fact, in fact, in its kind of most obvious way, doing the mitzvot are connected to Kabbalat Torah. So that the Baditshiva says, you know why they put up these stones? In order that everybody should understand that this is not a war about territory or a war about priorities or rights or privileges. If you accept the Torah, you have to have Eretz Yisrael as part of the deal. That's what you also get. So whether you do it like the Rambam, you say like the Rambam, or you say like the story I told about Yeshua ben Nun, or simply summarized in the words of Levi Yitzhak you see that there was a purposefulness in disseminating the words of the Torah that people should understand, at least if they could, that coming that the Jews are not coming to exercise some kind of territorial imperative or to to expand the empire. Or, or something of that sort, but that the Torah both obligates them to be in Eretz Yisrael and gives them the privilege of ownership in Eretz Yisrael. Have a good Shabbos.